Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Fireside Creators. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Sherry Pallas. This week's show is on the importance of storytelling, and we have an amazing panel to discuss it. Our first guest is Brady Hardin. He is a secular humanist, co-host of the Life After podcast after experiencing spiritual abuse. Brady grew up in an unstable Southern Baptist household, which inadvertently pushed him to commit harder to the church. He committed his future repressing his homosexuality until the full-time ministry. During a time of great loss and spiritual abuse, he left the faith and finally gave freedom to his sexuality. Years into his deconstruction, he created the Life Podcast and community to help others identify spiritual abuse, trust professional therapy, and heal from religious trauma. Welcome, Brady. Hey, thank you so much. It's amazing to be here again. I'm so glad you're here again. (laughs) Our next guest is Catherine Wilcox, and she has an MA in English rhetoric and has researched the role of storytelling as a healing and community building practice for individuals recovering from religious abuse and trauma. Welcome, Catherine. How are you? Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this. (laughs) (laughs) So when someone suggested this topic, I was like, what a strange topic to have on this show. Uh, And then last week I was on Brady's podcast and he brought it up three separate times. So I started thinking about it and I needed a show to fill for this one. So here we are. And I, um, I guess we go from there. Brady, you are on fire for this subject. So tell me what exactly is the storytelling and what is it and how is it important? Um, Okay. So I'll start with what is it? Um, I remember I never really understood storytelling because I just grew up in fundamentalist Christianity. And so those were the stories that I had. And to me, that was my history. That was my entertainment. That was my education. That was like how I learned about the world. That was like that created the precedent of my relationships with God and all this. But then as I started deconstructing and watching more television, I've always been obsessed with television. I came across shows that would talk about the monomyth or the hero's journey or Joseph Campbell's philosophy. Um, One was Dan Harmon and he made the show Community, which was one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. And that got me to start looking at storytelling objectively and to look at it as um, the same thing that Charles would Charles Darwin did the biology Joseph Campbell did for me it's a storytelling of where I could look at it objectively and see oh it came from here these influences came from this and then it kind of like evolved inside of this space um, and that just blew my mind and one of the big things that Joseph Campbell talks about is how so many of like the human stories that have survived over time um, that creates like a fossil to tell us like what's been helpful and whatever lasts creates that fossil. And so these stories are fossils and we look at them that way that we can figure out like they kind of have these intersectional ideas of like 
being called into an unknown place that they're not used to and not wanting to at first, but then somebody pushes them over the edge. And then once they're there, they have to learn new tools and meet new people and they have to, and it follows the certain pattern. And then that becomes the way that we tell stories. Um, and that just blew my mind as somebody who is deconstructing, because then that allowed me to find my inspiration and my values and my real life precedent. I was able to transfer that over from biblical stuff and then transfer it over to other things. And one of those was Star Trek, which I'll definitely get into later. But <laughs> that was kind of my theme with storytelling. It had so much to do with my deconstruction and so much with finding my identity and where I belong inside of the community as somebody who didn't no longer used God or, or those sort of like terms, I was a secular humanist. So I was now able to use a new way to identify and it had so much to do also with my reconstruction of rebuilding after that. So that's kind of my thing. I, I discovered Joseph Campbell early in my deconstruction, um, but not a minute before it. I knew nothing about him. Uh, and it was kind of a strange way that it, he came into my life. And then after I started reading his stuff and really getting into it. It started, I, I saw religion as a story for the first time mm -hmm. before I had seen it, you know, growing up, it was historical. It was facts. Um, you know, it, it was not a story. It was yes. history. Um, and then Joseph Campbell showed me, Oh no, this is all of the stories, all of these things, you know, uh, have this path. The only thing I didn't like about Joseph Campbell is it excluded women because he thought that yes, right. really had a problem with that because he thought that our journey, you know, was only about childbirth and being a mom and stuff like that. And I'm here. To I say identify that. as a progressive Joseph Campbellist. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because before I even deconstructed Sherry, I wrote a Christian novel. Right. And as I was writing it, a pastor suggested this book to me on word pictures. And it was written from a Presbyterian point of view. So it was still very like Christ centered. But it opened my eyes to Joseph Campbell's like Step to the Hero's Journey, even as a Christian. They tried to Christianize it, they tried to appropriate yeah. it, but it backfired because once I understood, like I heard about Gilgamesh of yeah. like stories that preceded and then evolved, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> and that was kind of like it started to just destroy things, you know? Yeah, because it really was, because all of a sudden it became a story. It, you know, yes. it was no longer a belief in this system, it was a story. What about you, Catherine? Um, well, stories for me, I kind of stumbled across uh, across my research on storytelling um accidentally. I was intending to be more like academic and I don't I mean I was looking at like when, when people talk about rhetoric they think of like Aristotle and Plato and all these like really heady complicated philosophers and stuff and I was way more uh, I still am way more interested in applied rhetorics like how do we use rhetoric in our day-to-day -day life and so when I first started my research I wasn't really looking at storytelling I was looking at like um, I was really interested in social media activism um, I wanted to know how people build communities online I wanted to know like um, how certain texts become viral and other ones don't like, you know, what, what's going on behind the scenes. And that led me into storytelling as really the fabric of social media activism, because mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, what I found was that storytelling is what helps people form community. It helps them realize that they're, what they're experiencing isn't just a personal issue. It's part of a systemic issue. And then that leads hell to, yeah, hell yeah. to end that, um, in that trauma. Um, I also really took like a decolonial, um, rhetoric, uh, rhetorical approach to my research. Um, I incorporate a lot of um, people. I don't know if you're familiar with like Aurora Morales. Um, she does a lot of stuff on like medicine stories, a lot of, um, native American and Latinx, um, uh, kind of philosophy going into storytelling and the role of that in dealing with trauma. So um, she, she believes that um, if you have a traumatic past, if you've been through, um, you know, even like, I think people coming out of religion don't really realize they've been traumatized. It was just normal for them. Yeah. And so um, when you, when that happens to you, you're, you're in denial, you have repressed memories. You don't really, you're, you're repressing a lot of emotions and um, that keeps you disassociated and it keeps your, your perspective fragmented and keeps you from really acknowledging that what your experience is part of like a larger problem. Um, wow. You're constantly trying to explain that problem away. And so storytelling helps nice. people find community and realize that like they are part of a bigger issue. And so that was kind of what I, what I looked at. Fascinating. Um, I love this. Oh my Brady thinks he's in church. He's like, preach, preach. <laughs> and, you know, this is like, as a secular humanist, I look at storytelling as humanity's actual superpower. Right? Oh, yeah. like, Absolutely. So much because like storytelling created God. Um, storytelling mm-hmm. created um, religion. It created all this. So we look at the power of like how much that can influence someone, and 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 we can say, oh, it was supernatural things. No, it wasn't. It was storytelling that did that, yeah. and like we could see the power of it. But when it comes to healing, like how um, you're saying, is so important too. Because I mean, that's the reason I have a I have a podcast. Is yeah. the whole point of it is to let is to give people the microphone, let them tell them their stories, and then I always have this this like. Um, I try to ask this to people. I try to bring it up. It's like this guilty thing. Is like afterwards, I want to be like, so how was it for you to hear your own story in your own voice and taking oh, power over it? Cool. You know, yeah. because I remember when I first told my story, it. I mean, it helped shape the podcast, so it did yeah. create that that community and stuff that you're saying. But for me personally, selfishly, um, yeah. it allowed me to see myself inside of that. And as somebody who's learning and adjusting in weird ass circumstances, whereas as I'm living it, fundamentalism does the whole like, you've got to pick the right decision. Did you do the right thing or the wrong thing? And while you're when you're the the mouse inside of that maze, it's really confusing. But then that allowed me to look up and I was like, that's been me. I really love that you ask people that question because I think that reflective practice is so important for like reflecting on like, wow, how did that make me feel? Because a lot of times when you're in fundamentalism, your story doesn't matter. Nobody asks you about your story. doesn't really, unless your story pertains to like some conversion experience, like it's pretty It's all about the testimony. It doesn't matter. So like it, yeah, unless you have some miracle that happened to you, nobody wants to hear about it. So it's um, asking people coming out of religious trauma about their story. And after, especially if they told it, ask them to reflect on how that made them feel is so important because it helps them kind of put those fragments together and be like, wow, like somebody actually cares about this. It doesn't matter. So no worries. You're next. I think it unifies us too, right? Or unites us. Mm-hmm. I, um, when I first started writing my book over a decade ago, I focused on my story and only my story. And I knew two people who literally said to me, who are you? What do you matter? Who's going to read this book? And it, 
made me so insecure that I immediately shifted everything over to reference and lessons and everything like that. And then when I get to the point of reaching out to an agent, trying to find a publisher, they're like, where's your story? No one's going to read this. No one cares if you're not involved. No one cares if you don't have your story. And I was like, I don't want to send my story anymore Yeah, (laughs) because then it was a vulnerability that I hadn't calculated that I hadn't put in for. And that all of a sudden I'm being told I have to do that. So the vulnerability that comes with that is, is kind of uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I remember when I was, I was a freshman. So I was just kind of, I was still very much fundamentalist at this point. I was starting to like question some things, but I was still like very much trying to be the good Christian girl I was raised to be. Um, and I was in like one of my first college classes ever. And it was like an English class. And the professor wanted us to write a um, reflective essay or like a memoir essay about some story about our life. And I literally couldn't do it. I was like, can I write about somebody else? Can I write like a yeah. different story? Like <laughs> yeah. I don't have any, I like, I don't have any stories that are interesting. I don't have anything that matters. Like nothing like there's like, what would I write about? Like, like all 20 years of my life, I'm to that point felt like nothing had mattered. Like I wanted to write somebody mm-hmm. else's story. And that was just like, looking back, like it's just so, so messed up to feel like that devalued, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you see your story now? Yeah, I do now. Yeah. But back then I was, shoot, that was rough. <laughs> You can get tired of telling it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just on a strange part of like, you know, me coming out of fundamentalism as like a single dad into like coming out as gay, going on to like grind through another gay dating sites. There comes a point where I have to explain, okay, this is why I'm a dad. This is, you know, like, here's this weird ass story. And it can get kind of tiresome of being like, just where I am in the Midwest of like having to explain so much stuff up front of who I am. And also knowing that oversharing as we're talking about storytelling, oversharing is a thing a lot, you know, if we come from a traumatic background, we have a tendency of telling too much of our story and we have to learn how to kind of like dial it back to what's appropriate, what's going to be helpful for a situation. I was thinking earlier too, Catherine, of like you were talking about, people talking about their story when it comes to activism and then you like not wanting to share your story but you want to like talk about somebody else's and I that made me think a lot about like the difference between representation in a storytelling and then advertisement of like here is actually somebody's experience and something that they've gone through and here's what we can learn from it whereas advertisement is kind of like um we're trying to sell you something. So we're going to add it into the story Mm -hmm. and then it's going to be kind of like how we're selling it to you. And agenda. It can be kind of voyeuristic too. Cause you're looking, if you're doing it that way, you're looking for the stories that are going to create the biggest emotional impact, the biggest like bang for your buck. And that can be really Mm -hmm. problematic too, ethically. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's, that's why I do this show though, because Understand knowledge invokes understanding, understanding evokes that empathy. So when we hear people's stories, we can relate to them. We have insight we may not have had. And I think real change can take place if the stories remain honest. And like you said, Brady, without agenda, once they, yeah. once you add an agenda to it, then it's a sales pitch, not a story. Yeah. I like that. That's a very good yeah. point. I think that's kind of the difference between, you know, like Sherry, you were on, on my show talking about what is religion, what is God. And whenever like 
the like fundamentalist approach is it's like inserting that representation. It's like none of you are experiencing this God, like as we're saying it. So we're going to tell you these stories that if you ever have these doubts, you can listen or you could read these stories and then you feel like you're in it. And that feels like representation to you, but it's actually advertisement. Um, whereas like the other type that we can handle God or spirituality is, well, no, the, these stories represent our experience. They're just here to like heighten it with this like weird ass, like characters and stuff. And, and now we can kind of like understand more of our human, human interaction between those so like i feel like the difference between how we could approach spirituality or religious storytelling that difference is there of is this representing the human experience in a way that's going to benefit us and create activism or is this advertising something to us that's just going to be about being subscribed to whoever's telling us these stories be subscribed to their channel or be subscribed to their teachings, et cetera. Well, when we learn from stories and I think that as far as we know, that is distinctly human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the bees octopus, pardon me. Bees maybe. Really? They kind of tell a story of like, okay, I was flying this way and this way and I found something. <laughs> I guess the answer that too. What, what would you say, Catherine? Uh, crows will tell their their young ants do the same. Yes, I'm, I'm proving my own point wrong. Um, but the exceptions make the rule. It's all small skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Generally speaking, as I say, it's not the same uh, as what humans do. Yeah, and when we tell these stories, we learn from other people, right? So we don't make the same mistakes. At least that's what we're supposed to if we're given the truth and all of yes. those things. And and to add to Brady's little sci-fi that he's just itching to, to talk about, the octopus, scientists say, is probably the smartest thing on this planet, but it fails to learn from anything else. It's so solitary, it learns from nothing. It has to experience everything on its own. And so therefore it wouldn't have those stories. And, and they theorize that if they actually learn to, to live uh, or learn from each other, uh, that they would take over the planet to the joy of every science fiction fan. Uh, but that is, yes. you know, what we do learn from those types of things. And, and if we don't, then we're repeating them. If we do learn, then, you know, that progresses our society. It evolves us. Hopefully it unifies us, all of those things. Mm. That's the point. I mean, I think of Joseph Campbell's, like the thing is, right. Like that process I was telling you earlier, you go into an unknown world, you get new allies, you get new tools, you learn a lot. You get to like this big battle where you feel like you give up everything and you find what you need and you're able to conquer. But the last step of all of that is you go back to your community and you share that story. You share that. Um, yeah. If we're going to put it in Joseph Campbellian terms, we're going to share that elixir and we're going to like now communicate that to others so that they don't have to walk down that same path, but yeah. they can access the, the knowledge, the wisdom and the technology, the weapon, the whatever that um, came from the end because it's being shared to your community. I love the way that that's like done in the Hobbit or in uh, Lord of the Rings, for instance, where they, they just fought all this, like, am I allowed to cuss on this? 
Yes. These fucking yes, orcs in this big ass battle, <laughs> and then they go home and they realize that like the the Shire was taking over. This isn't in the movies, but they're like, "Oh, fuck yeah, we're gonna you know punch these." assholes and take our land back but it's because they're able to go home with the lessons that they learned and then share that with their community that is what storytelling that's what humanistic human-centered storytelling humanistic spirituality religion anything is going to be about is is humans sharing human to human values through these stories in a way that keeps us prevents suffering reduces harm and then allows us to progress to a, to a culture that doesn't have to go through the same hurdles that we've gone through previously. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I saw happening a lot in the, the activism that I, I studied was um, people were forming these private groups on Facebook. So the, the specific population that I studied was women who were leaving um, really fundamental or not necessarily leaving, but they were in really fundamentalist religious uh, Christian groups. For the most part, there were a few Muslims in there, but I think most of them were Christian. Anyways, they're leaving these fundamentalist groups and um, the, because of either spiritual abuse, um, domestic violence, being told that they had to stay married to their abusers, like these really toxic um, theologies, um, people who had been sexually abused and were told to just forgive their abusers, like this, that kind of stuff. So these groups were for like women who are, who are recovering from that. A lot of them, they weren't really like, most of them weren't really ready to like fully deconstruct their religion. Cause I think they were dealing with so much other trauma that like the religion was the one thing they held on to that kind of kept them like stable and kept them from sinking completely emotionally. Um, but they definitely were becoming more progressive in their beliefs and kind of throwing away a lot totally of these toxic valid. theologies yeah. and realizing like, Hey, like I don't have to say Mary to my abuser. Like that's crazy. You know? Um, Shit, yeah. So they were, so what they were doing is telling their stories in these private groups where it was like secured, their abuser wouldn't be able to see them, wouldn't be able to get to them, wouldn't hear their stories. And the other woman would comment on it and be like, oh man, I had the same thing happen to me. Or, you know, here's what the laws are regarding divorce or, um, you know, child care and whatever in this state. And then like they were sharing all the resources that they'd had from their own experiences, helping like newcomers navigate that and developing like this community um of shared knowledge and experience to help like people navigate everything from like the legal system to like um, government resources to just like therapists, like everything, like they were just sharing everything that they had to, to help oh. people get out of bad situations. And it was, um, it was really amazing to watch because like the, the healing wouldn't have been able to take place. These women wouldn't have been strong, able to make it out on their own without the support of like this online community that they formed. Well, shame, so shame thrives in silence and darkness, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you feel so alone. I mean, there's been so many things that I was like, what? I thought I was the only one. And, you know, yes. Twitter and social media. And, and there's been other times that I've been like, oh, I didn't know anything about that. You know, yeah. I have learned so much. There's, there's, you know, of course, the negativity, but there's also really chances to see the stories of everybody else and see how they're walking through their life, if only in those short little characters, and to find out things that never knew before. Yeah, and I mean that's really what social media has done for us. I mean, social, there's a lot of a lot of problems with social media. Like, don't, I'm not just championing social media, but there are really positive benefits. Agreed. Um, like the, the whole church two movement wouldn't have happened without social yes, media. Um, that, the foundations, that movement started in what, like 2018, I think. Um, but the foundations for that movement had been building for like, I think five or six years before that. So Facebook kind of got, gave people the ability to connect with 
um, other people who are experiencing abuse and trauma across the United States and the world and be able to share their stories. And so they built this foundation of like, hey, like there's problems here in our theology and in our religious systems. And then when Church 2 happened, like the, the ground, like things were ready to explode at that point. Like the pressure. Oh, already yeah. Like I was already studying this movement before Church 2 happened. Like I was studying the underground. It didn't have a name yet. Like there was just people figuring life out, you know. And then Church 2 happened in the middle of my research and it just blew up. But like the foundations were there before because of social media and the storytelling that was happening. Yeah, Brady asked me on, uh, I'm sorry, Brady, go. I keep cutting you off. You go. Um, you, I want to do the follow-up quote of what you said earlier. You said that about shame. And, and here's something I just posted on, on my podcast's feed, like literally today. It's, um, it's a quote from Ann Voskamp. Here it is. Shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oof, like yeah. Brene Brown, like the <laughs> shit out of that. Like I remember yes. when I was deconstructing, I read her stuff like, the first step is thinking that we're alone, but then we start telling yeah. our stories. I remember specifically Jamie Lee Finch. Um, she was on my podcast in the first season and she like just started, I wanted to have her on my podcast because she was talking about breaking patriarchy and burning it to the ground. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Get on my fucking podcast. I want to learn from you. And it really blew up for her where she started to talk about how, so many women in fundamentalism, especially, especially with the Me Too movement and and in church too, where we're ha- they were having this like experiment of just being fucked over by by purity culture. And me as a gay man, where I had to repress myself till I was twenty eight and out of the faith. Fuck that shit. Like I'm right there with you all. And so when people started to talk about their experiences, true love waits was all about us being like. Oh, we're going to trust in this God and he's going to yeah. do it. was advertisement. Mm-hmm. But then like church two is about representation. It is about, this is what our fucking experience is. And you're going to listen to us and we're going to change some shit or you're not going to pay attention. And we're going to change some shit anyway. You know, like <laughs> that's what it's fucking about. And especially when it comes to, like the, the intersection, which that you, encapsulate so perfectly Catherine is is activism and experience like that intersection just that fucking explodes with my podcast like that was our thing is we wanted people to know first off you're not alone and then there came a day where I was like we need to create like a secret community for people because the best thing that I could give to these people is each other not me mm-hmm. like yeah I need to I'm going to yeah. keep saying my bullshit and whatever what I uh, you know what I think is helpful for whatever but what was most important for me is um, that they realized that like now with social media we're in this new environment and this has always been the stories of how we've in, how we've evolved and how we've survived. We get to a new environment and we learn and we overcome. We're in social media where it's done so much great stuff. Then it did a whole bunch of bullshit. Now <laughs> let's learn of how to defeat their bullshit and get it back to where it helps us. And I think that when you zoom out, that is the overarching curve is progression when it comes to humanity. And I think that this is just another step in that. Yeah. You, you called me a legacy, which I'm still kind of resenting Brady saying, Oh, you damn it. I wanted that to be positive. <laughs> but yeah, I started deconstructing 25 years ago. So, you know, I was alone. 
I was completely alone, especially because my foundation of my, my mother and all of those things that I was going against them. So if I vocalized any of my deconstruction, she would have disowned me. I didn't know anybody who was doing it. Not until social media that I was like, Oh my God, there's more of me. I really thought that I was like, you know, saying something new and thinking something new. And it's like, no, everybody's standing here with me. These people have gone through these same things I have. I may have started it before them because I'm old as fuck, (laughs) but you know, it's still, it's still the same deconstruction process. It's still Mm -hmm. grappling with what you were told and finding these things. But to hear my story told out of someone else's mouth was not only affirmations for me, but it also buoyed me. It empowered me. It, it, okay. it, and that's how we're building our community. So many people complain about leaving the church and losing that community, but we're building one from the outcasts, from the, the church twos, from the empty of the pews, all of those types of things. We are finding each other through social media. And I think that's awesome. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Badass. Love it including a lot of people who are watching, you know, because they're on the same path too. So it's, it's pretty cool. Well, it it created accountability for religions and for claims and everything, because, you know, each one of our religions was living inside and was kind of created inside of this weird bubble that had the geographical bubble. And yet there were people who are, and, and, but it wasn't enough to really penetrate that bubble where people were being indoctrinated geographically. If you were born in one place, you would have one idea of God and, and go to another. And like, as you've said, Sherry, like you, you don't discover God, you have to be told about God. And it's a geographical thing of like, most likely what version of God are you going to be told? But then social media kind of said, okay, let's grade all of each other. Um, okay, Islam, um, Judaism, everybody, um, explain what your claims are. And now we're able to kind of compare, especially with Christianity, which is Christianity is like, we're going to create supernatural whatever. And we're going to, but then it's like compared to other religions what actually sticks and what doesn't and what deserves for us to kind of like change our understanding of what the Bible's role is should be in our life, et cetera. So it kind of like it created this, that, 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 um, the cans connected by string, but it did it over religious boundaries as well that previously weren't really available for us to be able to get feedback on people and especially other people within our religion because where I grew up if you left the faith you got the fuck out and like you were looked at weird when you were seen at McDonald's or at Sam's Club and I can't tell you how many times you know not that I'm a Sam's Club membership but like that's been my experience is like I'm the pariah and so you cut those people off but then social media opens up recently my podcast I told I opened up about um experience of like church too where somebody from my past um ended up touching me inappropriately and when I was open about that situation, somebody who I hadn't seen since my childhood messaged me and said the same thing had happened to me with the same guy and a lot worse happened. But here's the thing is I hadn't seen him in 16 years because the way that like church culture works is you just disappear. But then social media was like, ah, let's do accountability. Let's start doing like, um, 
follow-ups where we can actually communicate with one another of what's actually going on. And you realize that the things that we can observe are not the weird, miraculous, supernatural things that we thought. What's actually like the same between our experiences is these certain types of abuse that when we talk about these these things to each other, we can share how we're learning to heal from them. We can share like professional therapy, we can share whatever, and we're able to share our solutions um, and not have to like advertise our experiences. Do you have any follow-up on that, Catherine? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I agree with that. I mean, I think that that's kind of what one person shares their story and it opens the door for other people to come in. I actually listened to that podcast, Brady. I'm like a, I'm, I'm like a, a oh, thank you. <laughs> listen to your podcast for a while. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's yeah, that, awesome. that was really, really cool. You're able to be so vulnerable about that. And it's, I think it, what's really beautiful is when one person's vulnerable and it opens the door for other people to share their vulnerabilities as well and um, form community around that. Especially, I think, I mean, like we were saying before, community is so important for, for people leaving religious groups because you're, you're losing your whole community. Um, you're losing your whole, you know, way of interpreting the world, all of it. And so you really need to have that, that new community support. And I think being vulnerable and sharing our stories, um, on podcasts, Instagram blogs, you know, whatever, um, really opens the door for that to happen. Okay. So what do we do or how do we handle the stories with agendas the fake history. Um, I'm thinking of uh, CRT being instituted all over the country and people saying, no, 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 we can't talk about that history. You know, what, how do we, you know, fake news has been abundant. So how do we handle the stories that have an adverse effect on people or harm people or, you know, harm our society? What do we do with those types of stories? Patterns, That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think patterns. Patterns is my answer. Like you make patterns in storytelling, and you educate an entire fucking generation. This is the shit you need to be looking out for. This is how they're going to fuck you up. For me, Hunger Games had so much to do with my deconstruction that, like, as I was going through it, I'm like, "Oh, Katniss, do if she saw this clear injustice." when it came to like storytelling or like what's true or not, would she sit there or would she shoot a fucking arrow at it? She would shoot a fucking arrow at it. Let me go get my goddamn arrow. Like, so that's, I think like, it's like the thing with storytelling and that when we talk about our experiences, it's, it, it sinks all of these things. I'm going to, I'm going to, they're on the same vibration of pattern storytelling, talking about our experiences and then talking about like, Hey, these are the things that you need to look out on. If we're going to talk about the vibrations of the universe, all of those things are within the same frequency. When you get your dial in there, you're going to hear all three at the exact same time. So for me, the answer is aligning all of those things, the way that we educate each other, the way that we talk about our experiences, we all need to laser focus on what is it that is the pattern that we can take with among all of those things and how do we educate each other to tell that? For me, it's been storytelling on the podcast. It's been infographics. It's been whatever I can do. But I think as many people that get in on that toning in, that's how we're going to be able to educate the next generation. Yeah. 
I think um, I, I agree with that too. I, I think for me, um, what I saw with what I've seen with social media activism is our understanding of reality is really governed by our, our social media like news feeds, right? So we get stuck in a little social media bubble and that is our reality. That's how we interpret the world. And that's, you know, whatever news news is being shown on there is what we're going to believe, right? And I think um, people on both sides of the political aisle have, are guilty of this to some extent. Like you get trapped in your, your little ideological bubble. So the key then is to penetrate the bubble and penetrate it in a way where um, the person who's reading it, who would normally be opposed to, to the idea that's getting into their bubble, um, is is able to like accept that idea or at least maybe not accept it, but like engage with it, right, in like a healthy way. So um, what I saw a lot of the social media activists doing in my research was they were coding their language in ways that would allow it to penetrate the bubbles of people who are still stuck in fundamentalism. And so they would um, take their, you know, they would be advocating for, you know, feminism or even egalitarianism, whatever, in their churches. And they would code it in biblical language. They would be like, just like, you know, the woman in the well story, or they would use, um, you know, really Old Testament, like, like, oh, the Baals, the idols of, you know, the Old Testament, and like your your um, idea of like the patriarchy is your own idol. And so they basically like code feminist yeah. ideology in biblical language so that it was less um, scary to people who would ordinarily resist it. It's because if you use feminist language to really fundamentalists, they're just going to immediately reject it and not engage with the actual idea at all. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what they were doing and they had actually had pretty good success with it was coding like call like actual feminism in biblical language and making it like wolf and sheep's co-loathing and then sneaking it in to these people. And then they would like, start to engage with it and be like, Oh, I guess the Bible does say that. Or like, Oh, that's, I never interpreted it that way before, but that's interesting. Or that makes sense. You know? So it's like, it's not necessarily, we're never going to get rid of the fake news, but what you can do is get the truth, get the the valid stories, the, mm. um, the powerful ones and code them in a language that makes them less offensive to the people who would normally reject them. And that's how you start conversation. I think. That's, ex- that's exactly was what my agenda was in writing my book and doing all of it was, I am an insider or I was an insider. Mm-hmm. So I know the language. I know the things to say. Yeah. And those types of things in, I mean, right now I'm doing a lot of research on cults to try and talk to people without yeah. saying, you're a fucking idiot. Get out. Exactly. You know, Nobody's going to engage with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but when they know that you're on the inside and you use their language, Mm-hmm. There's a bit, there's a level of manipulation to it because it is sales techniques, you know, the mirroring and those types of things. Um, but I also think that all of that, it, you know, if I don't know, I'm going to eat my own words on this because if you grew up with it, it's yours. Well, yeah, it's, yours I mean, it's, it's, still, it's still, you know, appropriating it. I think it has a level, you know, of of agenda to it. You know, when you, yeah. you want to say things, you want to do things, and using a commonality of language and terms helps. It does, you know, it, it, it lowers their guard. It it says you're one of us. It's what, you know, it's like the story of, of the, the Jesus fish. Supposedly one person wrote one arc and the other one wrote the other arc. That's how supposedly the Jesus fish came into being. That's what I think this does is the story is saying that we are in the same place you're a believer. I'm a believer, even if you're not, you know, mm-hmm. but it does codify that relationship and instantly build trust when you use those types of terms. Yeah. I and I mean, I, it, there is a little bit of like a, a layer of you know manipulation to it, but I think that 
you know, I mean, you're not like you're not like talking somebody into an idea that's going to be harmful for them or have any. That's what I was going to say. But I mean, it's, it's so selective. Like, it, well, it's good for everybody. It's like, oh, you're not supposed to do that, you know. So yeah, it goes back to so much of what I was thinking earlier about comparing it to evolution. Hear me out on this, all right? <laughs> I, I, I when it butterflies, all right. Let's say a butterfly it evolves. It's bright red and that's its way of saying don't eat me because i'm gonna fucking kill you i'm a poisonous you know motherfucker don't do that and so this weird thing happens in evolution where other animals that weren't poisonous started to look like the ones that were poisonous Mm -hmm. and then guess what they don't get eaten either Mm-hmm. It's a point of like mimic camouflage and mimic like um, warning signs that happens in biology. And it's a part of, of, of evolution. We're doing the same thing. We're saying, okay, if that's the terminology that you're using in a last, then I'm going to meet it. I'm going to say the same thing, but I'm just going to look like the toxic one, but I'm not going to be the toxic one, but I'm going to be able to kind of like communicate with them by getting on the same level. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing that way. And like my thing of like having to take the next level of storytelling of like, okay, I don't have these fundamentalist stories now. What do I have or what can I like be a fanboy of? Right, because we miss that. I, I miss it. I was a theology. I committed myself to the full time ministry, and I was fourteen years old, and I like did nothing but like read those books and the Bible and everything for fourteen years until I left, and then I left it, and then now it's like there was it felt like there was a part that was just missing for me, and eventually that was filled by. Netflix series <laughs> and just like reading of Netflix. <laughs> it's legit, right? Like I learned, I mean, not just Netflix, but like Showtime has some shows that I was able to like watch and just weep over how close it understood me and how much I like watched the screen and didn't see some foreign alien character I saw myself. And that made me feel seen. I think like we need storytelling that makes us feel seen, even though we're watching it on television. Right. And like that, that change is what really helped me in my deconstruction because that foundation wasn't there anymore. And then it started to get filled by these other stories that what I had in relation to them was not, Oh, we're worshiping the same God or we're talking about the same deity. We're talking about the same experiences, the same humanity. And then like Star Trek came in and all these other things. And it became like, shit, I'm finding my new stories it's people that are activists and there's people who were with me who are telling their story. Yes. But then I'm also seeing our stories on the screen metaphorically, or even just straight up in documentaries or a straight up in podcasts or whatever. And then that representation then lets us know we're not fucking crazy. And once we're able to kind of like, there we go. And once we're able to kind of like normalize that environment, we're not just asking ourselves, do we, should we be here anymore? The question is, how do we thrive here? And how do we help others thrive here too? And I love that that 
that metamorphosis happens and it happens in storytelling. And then you get a sequel that's about not just one character, but it's about him and all of his fucking buddies. And then you get another sequel that's about like all of their, you know, like, and it's just like the same things being spread out, but then it becomes bigger and a bigger idea and, and more nuanced of how do we problem solve now in these weird ass environments that we weren't used to before. And it just, I don't know, just that progression really, really excites me. Well, and I think I've reconciled using their terminology because actually it's just language, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking anyone's language is going to unify and add trust and stuff like that. You wouldn't go to another country and expect to speak English and communicate with anyone. You could hope, you know, so you're going to want to speak their language. You're going to want to do that. And in doing that, that's not manipulative. That is congregating. That is community. That is those types of things. And this very well might be a justification, but I think that's how I, I can I reconcile. Think, I think it's a sign of respect too. Like it's respectful yeah. if you go to a foreign country and you you have taken the effort to learn their language and participate in their culture, right? So if you're going into fundamentalist groups and you're using their language to communicate with them, then that's, I mean, that's a sign of like, hey, I understand where you're coming from. I was there too. Like, let's talk this through and see if there's other ways to like, interpret these ideas um it's it's a sign of like meeting them where they're at and showing them that you're not expecting them to leave their comfort zone you're leaving your comfort zone and going to theirs um i like that you know becoming all all things to all people so that you i don't know may like win some or something i don't know where i'm pulling (laughs) that sounds right (laughs) (laughs) well and i think continuity as far as facts Um, will determine the fake from the real, right? So Mm -hmm. if someone keeps regurgitating or reiterating or, you know, propagandizing these stories and they continually, and every every single one of them falls apart, nothing ever comes to fruition. Um, We can look at it as far as political or even the end times. I mean, I can't even... My punch card, my end times punch card is like five times full. It was supposed to happen all of this time, you know, still waiting, all of these things. So at some point, you're going to have to look at those stories that you listen to and say, okay, this might have been a fairy tale. These are Mm -hmm. history. These are fairy tales. These are these types of things. This is what I can trust in. This is what I can't trust in. This is rhetoric. This is fallacy. This is misogyny. This is patriarchy. This is truth. Representation. This is advertisement. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. Do we have any questions from the audience? Um, Jim is happy with the show. If not, I can go up on Star Trek just for a few minutes. Talk to us about Star Trek. We've got 12 minutes left. Talk to us about Star Trek. I'm going to be really quick about it, but it's funny that this comes on um, on the date that it is because today is uh, you know September seventh. One of my favorite characters in, in Star Trek is Seven of Nine, so you know it's the the ninth of September. Anything, anyway. She was an ex Borg. Um, she was this character that was part of this zombie robotic 
race and it represented a simulation that they would find people and they would stick these electrodes in them and they would make them one of their own and then they would go out and make new it was like a multi-level marketing scheme aka fundamentalism and so that's what it really represented and her story is about getting outside of that and learning to be back with a group of people on the voyager what she called her collective and so when i started to see that through the eyes of like leaving fundamentalism and like finding out who I am. I was really like role modeling that. And it was like, gave me something storytelling way, inspiration, right? Inspiration, not indoctrination as before, but inspiration opposite sides of the spectrum. Totally. And then she showed up even like later on in the card series where she's like just this badass, um, but not bounty hunter, but what is the uh, 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 anti-hero? I forget the word that I'm looking for, but she's just going through the galaxy and like doing what she can to help other exoborgs who have like liberated outside of that collective. And I related so much of that too, as like somebody who's online and trying to help other people who came from a fundamentalist, fundamentalist background like me. And so Star Trek also like provided this very like secular humanistic storytelling technique for me that helped like, instead of talking about something that happened 2000 years in the past, it allows me to look into the future of this is the sort of non-judgmental future that I want and to be able to go towards that. And there's other like just little nuances that, did, that just really relate metaphorically about how do we deal with race? How do we deal with different gender expressions and sexuality and as somebody who came out of fundamentalism is nerdy, I highly recommend it. But that's kind of like my pitch of like just another way that storytelling can can really progress society without having to draw all of this God, deity, weird ass language behind it. And it kind of gives like another example, another like uh, just another example of what we can look to if storytelling outside of what we grew up with in fundamentalism. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> when stories are used as examples to become better humans, I'm all for it. Yes. When stories are used to justify bad behavior, I've got a problem. Right. So, you know, and, and two people can do the exact, do that. One person can look at a story and say, like, for instance, I look at the Old Testament as giant warning signs. Don't do this. You know, this guy was an asshole. We did this. And some people look at it as, wow, that's a king. That's who Trump is. That's who I want to be like and those types of things. Yeah. So I, I told the story of the two wolves to David, and, and he's a big fan of it now. But that's really what it is. If you're going to use these stories not to learn from but to justify and perpetuate bad behavior, then those are the destructive, agenda-driven um, advertising, as you said, sales pitches. When you use a story to grow and to learn and to empathize, that's going to better our humanity. So I have one question. There's a meme that goes around Facebook that says, how about you just listen to someone's pain without interjecting your own story? I took that in and was like, okay, I can see that as far as one-upmanship of, oh, you think that's bad. Wait till you hear what I have to say. That is really wrong. But I've always looked at when I'm in a conversation with someone and they're 
you know, talking about their pain, using it as a point of empathy. I, I understand you because of this. Again, not one upping anyone, not, you know, um, supersizing it and saying, well, you know, yeah, those types of things. But how do you guys view that? Should you be quiet or should you interject? I think it, it depends on the context and your relationship with that person. Um, I think if, if the person is like, if they're in a situation where they just need to share and um, if they kind of already know that you've been through something similar, then I think oh, just you know, they already have that knowledge about you. You don't really need to bring it up again. Just let them have their moment. Um, but if there's, if it's a situation where maybe they're, they're unfamiliar with you and it's, it's, you know, they don't realize that you've had the same experience that they have. I think it can be a bonding experience to share it, but I think, it's important to give them the priority and, and make sure you hold space for them and that they get their word in before you start. Don't don't cut them off, interrupt and like throw in your own story and trample them over. I think it's just important to kind of be respectful and hold space for them. So do it without making it about you. Yeah. Which is totally possible. Yeah. Brady, what do you have to say? Along the same lines, I think also I've seen that, that meme and I've also seen a response meme about people who are neurodivergent where they're like, um, this is how we communicate. Yeah. And, and I related with that as somebody who is neurodivergent. And I, I, that's my thing is I realized that I do that. And what I've had to learn is the same thing. We're in a new situation. We could either like run away from it or we can learn in it. For me, I've had to learn how to make sure that when I'm hearing somebody that I am making it about them. I struggle with it because I talk a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that in this podcast or not, <laughs> but um, I, so I want to make sure that whenever I am talking about them, that I'm still centering them in the conversation and their experience and make sure that they know that I'm not saying this as a comparison. I'm saying this is an entryway because I've been around people who do like one up being thing, especially when I was in, in church stuff. And it's just the most unattractive type of person to be vulnerable to because mm -hmm. you don't open up about, it's not a competition. No you want to be seen and that's what the person's wanting to do. And so if you can tell your story in a way that says you are seen, then do that. And if you can improve on the ways that you can tell your stories in a way that tells other people you are seen, then do that. Um, but that also is probably going to mean cutting down what you have to say and do a little bit more listening and asking, even probing questions, inform your questions by your experience as much as you do to your storytelling, because that sort of in-depth like questioning, even though you're asking them a question, you're also telling them, I see you. Mm. How are you right now in this weird nuanced way? that I can tell you my story and show off that I've been there, or I can tell you that I've been there by the way that I asked this question. And I think that's an important thing to do as well. Yeah, don't absolutely. be a narcissist. Don't be a dick. <laughs> ask lots of questions. It feels so good when, some, when you tell somebody your story and then they ask you questions about it yeah. and you feel like, wow, I didn't just burden them with this thing. They're not bored. They're not interested. They're actually like engaged with this and they want to know more. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most flattering feeling to have. Like it just, it feels so good because you know that like they're not they're not trying to think about how to get out of this conversation. They're trying to stay in it longer with you. Well, because yeah, yeah. vulnerability is so tough. So if you actually get in that space to be vulnerable, to say these types of things, and then they make it about them, 
you're not going to be vulnerable with them anymore. At right. least with me, that ends it. You know, is I trusted you enough to be vulnerable to begin with. If it didn't go well, I'm moving on. I am far too old and have seen this too many times to, to go in and say, okay, well, let me give it another shot now. Not with my vulnerability, not with my heart, not with my soul. I'll save it for someone who cares. And that repeats back what you've been saying, though, isn't it? Of like, this isn't just about telling better stories. This is about knowing what stories to listen to. Yeah. And if your story hasn't kept you from being an asshole, then you know what? <laughs> it's the same with like a religion like okay we're gonna talk about all these super not everything's so like you know taken to the heightened degree but if it's not making a difference in somebody's life i don't really care what weird ass story you can pull out of your ass that has ghosts and magic from thousands of years ago and ancient scrolls and written on the stones from the gods no fucking show me in your lifestyle and if you're going to continue to be a fundamentalist asshole then i recognize your storytelling as indoctrination but i am inspired by representation i'm inspired by people talking about and what is vulnerability that is representation when we are able to be courageous about who we are and to be vulnerable with who we are in a way that tells our story in a way that other people can hear it relate to it and see am i like this person or not and in that representation, that that's what changes lives. That's what that's what totally progresses yeah, humanity. Not it, not indoctrination that keeps us behind. Yeah, yeah. Every week, someone comes on and tells their story on this show, and I and that's what keeps me going. And I absolutely love it because I learn so much. It's also weekly therapy for me, so that works too. <laughs> Welcome to my therapy session. I learn so much from everybody's stories and everybody's perspective because I respect their vulnerability and I'm also open and I believe them. So, you know, in just believing them and in believing their stories, uh, I hope to validate them all. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, we are at the top of the hour. That flew by, and I can't wait to dig, dig deeper into this in the VIP. I'm going to call one more time for questions or comments. And Brady, where can everybody find you and talk to you? And what do you want to uh, push? Yeah, so uh, Google me, Brady Harden, the Life After podcast. Um, that's my whole that's my whole shit. Uh, <laughs> pretty easy to find. And um, I, I, I can't think of what it is, but I was thinking of a Renee Brown quote again of like uh, one of the first steps of seeing each other is to believe each other's stories as it's told and as it's experienced. Yeah. I thought that was that mind blowing. So the life after podcast, um, Sherry is, is, Going to be on our uh, going to be on an episode here next week, and um, I would love for you all to listen to it. And really appreciate you letting me on your show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on yours, and thanks for being on mine, Catherine. Where can people find you? And any final comments or, or deep thoughts? Um, well, I'm not really much of a presence in the um, deconstruction community. I don't have like an Instagram or a vlog or anything cool like that, but I'm pretty old fashioned. So I blog at um, greatismyfaithlessness.wordpress.com. Um, hoping to transition that into like a TikTok channel or something at some point, but I'm a writer yes. by nature. So that's, that's kind of what I do. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, where you can find me. Um, or I'm also on Instagram at wander once with a zero instead of an O. 
but I don't really do a whole lot of deconstruction stuff on there. But if you want to be friends, that's cool. Well, I'm sure you'll get a bunch of friend requests and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, okay. I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, for those of you that we're going to see in the VIP, we'll be over there in just a couple minutes. Brady, Catherine, thank you so very much for thank teaching you. me about all of this and for telling your stories. I'll see you guys in the in uh, the back. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What a great show. I just absolutely love these conversations and the guests that um, I am so fortunate to have on the panel each week. They're... Um, intelligence, their vulnerability, and all of that just um, fills me up. Next week's show is on the afterlife or lack thereof with Matthew DiStefano, Brad Jurisic, and Richard Murray. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe and thank you all for watching and participating. We're headed over to the VIP to continue this conversation. Become a member so you too can chat. Go to sherrypalace.com and use the support tab and hope to see you there. Thanks again and I will see you next week. Walk in love.